0: A few large scale platforms, a few orchestrators are likely to win a disproportionately large part of the value because they will own the customer. The goal in all this competition is customer ownership, that's the holy grail of ecosystem.
1: From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Miklos Dietz, a senior partner based in our Vancouver office and the leader of our Global Ecosystems Group, as well as a leader in our banking and strategy and corporate finance practices. Miklos is the co-author of the new book, The Ecosystem Economy, How to Lead in the New Age of Sectors Without Borders. He's joined today by his co-author, Venkat Atluri, a senior partner in the Bay Area who leads our telecom work globally. Miklos and Venkat are with us today to explain how we are entering a new economic age of sectors without borders. In episode 133 of our podcast last year, Miklos offered a sneak peek of the insights in the book. If you'd like to listen, we'll include a link to that episode in the show notes. Today, we'll dive deeper into how companies can make decisions about what role they should play in this new economy and how they can develop new strategies and capture more value in this new ecosystem economy. Venkat Miklos, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you with us today.
2: Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here.
1: Venkat, let's start with you. The ecosystem economy you talk about in your book, how new is it, or is it something that's evolved over decades?
2: The evolution of global economy has been happening for centuries but if we examine the evolution of the economy in the recent decade or so, you will begin to discern some very interesting and exciting and highly consequential phenomena driven by ecosystem revolution. These phenomena are shaping how the value gets created and who gets to capture that value. This inevitably creates opportunities and threats and determines new winners and losers. In the past, two or three decades, they even go back like 30 or 40 years. If you look at 80s and 90s, and even early 2000s, if you imagine who were the companies that has the highest market cap, you tend to see companies that are primarily in oil and gas sector, you see a few banks, you see some companies that are in pharma, pharma industry. But if you fast forward the clock to the recent couple of decades, the last one or two decades or so, you see a very interesting phenomena where the, the largest market cap companies in the economy tend to have a ecosystem-oriented businesses. Not all of them, but most of them have some sort of ecosystem-oriented businesses. And obviously, there are tech favorites, the Alphabets and the Amazons and the Metas of the world. And they dominate. And if you examine d- deeper into the reasons why they're dominating in the economy, you see one very interesting phenomenon that is, they all have ecosystem oriented businesses.
1: Interesting. So, why don't we just define what you mean by an ecosystem, Venkat? The
2: way we define ecosystem is it's the community of interconnected digital and physical businesses that come together sometimes across the traditional sectors of the economy in the interest of providing customers, what they want, when they want it and present them how they want to consume. And this typically driven by businesses collaborating with sharing assets and information, resources and ultimately really creating value beyond what they would have been able to do individually on their own. One major difference that you would see in this ecosystem evolution is that these are not vendor-supplied relationships. In ecosystem, when interconnected digital and physical businesses come together, they're a lot more than vendor-supplied relationships. And typically, they also tend to reduce the transaction costs, and sometimes these are contractual, sometimes informal, and they tend to have some, some sort of a commercial relationship.
1: And how are these ecosystem companies different from the traditional conglomerates?
2: There are actually quite a a few differences between typical conglomerates and ecosystem businesses. Well, let let me just highlight a few differences. Ecosystem-oriented businesses typically, in most cases, start with customers, customer value creation, how do we do things better, how do we create value for customers? On the other hand, conglomerates tend to have slightly a different focus. That is, how do we diversify ourselves in in, in the model of portfolios, in the model of sometimes loosely or sometimes unrelated businesses coming together from really for the sake of diversification. Second, ecosystem oriented businesses typically gets anchored on a platform. It could be a digital platform. It could be a physical platform. And they attract and foster and develop those relationships around the platform. And you tend to see less of that in conglomerates. And third, a very interesting phenomenon that you also see when you deeply examine the differences between conglomerates and ecosystems is ecosystem-oriented businesses tend to expand the pie and share the pie versus, as I mentioned before, having more of a vendor supply relationship to really make money or create profit.
1: So you mentioned that ecosystem centric companies dominate the economy by their market capitalization. Is that partly because their model is simply more profitable than that of conglomerates or single businesses?
2: Typically, ecosystem oriented businesses um, get to have more profitability. They also create more concentration of value capture, meaning a fewer players get to capture a lot more value, and also, when you have these ecosystem-oriented businesses, they also create a level of influence, geopolitical and social influence, that feeds on itself. And then there are quite a few discussions, you know, around. We see, we hear about um, the unintended consequences, some sometimes, you know, not so uh, positive consequences that that this economic evolution
1: could drive. Interesting. I, first, can we please discuss what's behind the recent growth of these ecosystems?
2: There are two major factors that are driving this ecosystem evolution. The first and foremost is unprecedented, unprecedented levels of acceleration of technology development. You all hear it. We, are, we hear it. We, you know, we read it and we, we, we feel it. Um, it, it, it's um, not slowing down in, by any means. Um, it may be slowing down in some sectors, it's accelerating in, in other sectors, but if you look at, at a, at a macro economic, economy level, the acceleration of technology development is not slowing down. And you know we, we've put a pretty um, simple measure here. If you look at number of patents filed in the last 20 years, um, there are a lot more patents filed in the last 20 years than in the history of patent filing before that. And in conjunction with that, there is a second driver, that's the evolution of consumer behavior and consumer expectations. they go hand in hand. The technology acceleration and the consumer expectations are going hand in hand. People are expecting getting a lot more comfortable with uh, companies, firms, and um, other institutions really predict what they want and when they want it and how they want it. And this will have lots of privacy concerns and you know, other debates that we uh, they're not going to get resolved in, you know, anytime soon. We continue to evolve and continue to come to some happy medium. But nonetheless, um, there, is, there is a real shift there are all kinds of different surveys. We have our own surveys, the surveys from others. We've seen where it's a clear indication that consumer behavior is getting in line with technology development, where contextually understand me, predict what I want, and and present to me how I want to consume it and when I want to consume
1: it. So in your book, you talk about how acceleration of technology and consumers are leading these ecosystem businesses to erase the boundaries between their sectors. Miklos, can you elaborate on that a bit? Thank you,
0: thank you very much. This interplay between technology changes and customer uh, behavior, or a self-reinforcing cycle, which is accelerating, as Venkat mentioned, led to a lot of uh, interesting implications on the surface, new gadgets, tools, or daily life changing. But it also leads to a very fundamental structural change of an almost 10,000 years old phenomena, which is industry sectors for over 10,000 years since uh, ancient uh, Sumerians, economy always have orchestrated into industries based on very practical barriers between them. And these changes are now started to systematically break down these barriers. To give you some examples, industries have been historically always separated by the unique data uh, sets, let's say banking, uh, is living from the fact that bankers are the best position to understand who are like most likely to pay back their loans the those little banking books from the 1500s or those big banking databases today they are unique differentiators other sectors have their own data sets they are all now becoming very replicable because of the enormous big data revolution, ad, uh, advanced uh, analytics revolution, AI revolution ongoing in the world. This is a amazing point of history when other industries, telcos, retailers are able to replicate risk data and risk analytics of uh, big banks. They can actually forecast almost better who will pay back their loans or not. And this applies across. Many sectors for any sectors that the data difference is going down. Another reason which separated uh, sectors was unique supply chains. They all had their own sources, their own supplies, but it is also now democratizing thanks to the changes Venkat has mentioned. Big open marketplaces enable everyone to quickly enter into sectors and build up businesses. Uh, we have seen how new car companies like Tesla have been built up much faster than. Anybody could have imagined in the past. Another thing which has separated uh, sectors were the unique distribution, right? You know, of everything from uh, hardware you go to the hardware store, grocery you go to grocery store, insurance you go to insurance agents, banks you go to uh, bank branches again this one is being broken down with the advancement of smartphones and the potential future advancements of metaverse and other technologies it becomes very easy for people using one platform to access all different type of services and finally unique systems uh, hardware uh, all those comp- all those computer network which created a barrier of entry between sectors are also going down with the emergence of very rapid uh, new technologies cloud based services and this just generally uh, foster and foster and easier and easier access to uh, tools for startups this has brought down barriers between sectors enabled this proliferation of startups we have seen how young companies can now enter new industries very quickly but it has done something much more profound it basically as i said broke down all the barriers which separated sectors and enabled companies to use this new world to offer cross-industrial services and this is something which customers truly love and the moment it happened it started a tidal wave of transformation because it turns out that all those historical sectors which were created because those companies needed, are actually not something clients lacked.
1: Thanks, Miklos. Um, It's really nice to hear that customers are one of the primary beneficiaries of this move toward ecosystem economies. Are there any instances, though, where customers actually need to be protected from the rise of ecosystems? And, And how are regulators responding to this blurring of industry lines? There are some sectors that you mentioned, like banking and insurance, that are currently tightly regulated due to their importance to the overall economy?
0: This is a very fair question. Uh, There is is no question that, number one, businesses entering other sectors can sometimes have advantages, uh, and some of the advantages that they can play things differently and can even have some regulatory advantages. Now, in our experience, regulators are catching up, but also important to notice that the trend, which is essentially reorganizing a large part of the global economy across customer needs, is not something that regulators and governments dislike. On the contrary, it actually increases competition and increases the quality of services. There are markets where regulators are far more open, like China, for example. Regulators basically enable this transformation with limitless, and it was certainly much faster than other markets. But in generally, we find that uh, the, the the broad trend of being able to enter other sectors, leverage your already existing customer access in creating cost economies of scale, creating uh, advantages of data, they are so big that regulator regulators are unlikely to hijack that.
1: Okay, so are there any industries that actually have higher barriers to entry for ecosystem players, perhaps financial services?
0: So I think, Fun, uh, there are very little differences i would argue banking had its unique distribution advantages Th- those branches don't work anymore that much banking had all this data where, as i mentioned banking's data advantage came down banking's uh, networks all those big legacy it systems bank have developed now can replicate it one tenth of the cost or even provided cloud-based usage based patterns which is one of the reasons why we have seen proliferation of fintechs which of course many of them are now adjusting but still showing the opportunities in fact i would argue banking is one of the most exposed for this transformation because almost anything what banking is doing is data ones and zeros right moving <laughs> fact so in case of banking where we are seeing is not simply getting used to competition from outside banking but potentially this can also lead up to the breakup of banking and this solution is a different ecosystem because for example, the mortgage business in banking is a much more natural part of the home ecosystem, right? While let's say everyday payments are much natural, more natural part of commerce. And we already seen that in markets that non-banks are not dismantling a little bit banking and cherry picking all the profitable parts of it.
1: Okay, so you're describing some pretty extensive changes relative to how the economy has traditionally been organized do you see an endpoint like where do you see this evolution leading
0: we do believe that we it leads to a very large part of a global economy to reorganize from this historical traditional supply chain sectors concept to collapse around fundamental customer needs now these customer needs for uh, the individual level of customer needs are the very core psychological uh, needs of, I need shelter, I need, uh, you know, free time and where I can kind of enjoy myself, entertainment, they are very naturally already showing up and you see how large part of uh, sectors, especially quick, fastly changing sectors such as digital entertainment, totally realigned around them. The same way institutions have very fundamental needs, right? It is pretty much orchestrated around the organization of any company we need, you know, procurement we need supplies we need uh, sales we need finance and we believe that if you map all these fundamental natural needs uh, and connect them to each other we see the emergence of 12 large ecosystems which cover very large part of them we believe that these 12 large ecosystems can connect businesses and customers and can form the new organization structure of again a large part not all but a large part of global economy Uh, and many of these are very substantial right the home ecosystem for example which is a combination of mortgages real estate agency we will speak a little bit more about it in in itself is a is bigger than any industry in the planet Uh, the total revenue pool of these new ecosystems, we expect around 70 to hundred trillion dollars by 2030 and then eventually 2035, it's around 30% of the global economy, but over 40% of the profits and over 50% of the extra profits, right? The profit over cost of capital is likely to be orchestrated by these ecosystems. And that is very fundamental. First and foremost, this is the single largest economic transformation of human history, which, somewhat justifies why global capital markets have made these tens of trillions of dollars of bet on this and not just on tech companies in almost every industry you see how industrial leaders whether it's toy making or whether it's insurance industry leaders in any given sector are the players who got cross-industrial business models and ecosystem models right you kind of see why the excitement is happening and also you see how even in potential downturns ecosystem models tend to be far more resilient because cross-industriality also means stability it also means a very strong customer ownership uh, gives you huge advantages in case when things are not going that well to give you one example the home ecosystem until very recently it was extremely fragmented you went to your real estate agents to find a home you went to a a bank to get mortgage, an insurance company to get home insurance, and of course, everyday maintenance, you work with your plumber, you work with your servicemen, get furniture from furniture stores. But increasingly, we see, for example, how players all over the world, especially in markets like developed world markets, where you see leapfrogging is happening much faster, right? It's easier to reinvent the economy when you are starting from behind that end-to-end operators appear. Our argument is that by 2030, 2035, a few players who can really provide you an end-to-end customer journey of finding your home, moving in, living into it, getting financing, getting everyday updates, access to all services, a few platforms will rule this ecosystem. The same way as in digital entertainment, for example, we have seen large platforms like uh, TikTok, Netflix, uh, Amazon prime being able to kind of
1: orchestrate those sectors. So as a, as a consumer, this doesn't really sound that bad, but do you see a danger of over concentration of large ecosystem players, perhaps leading to reduced competition or innovation? If a handful of companies come to actually dominate these ecosystems earlier, Venkat, you'd mentioned the ongoing discussions about the outsized influence of some of these players.
2: Yes, uh, thank you. If you really think about, you know, in a balanced way, there are a lot of good that ecosystem evolution is creating in the broader society. It's driving economic growth. It's really serving customer needs the way they'd like to get served. And there are lots of opportunities to create value and perhaps share that value. And, and that helps, you know, uh, around the globe, uh, different parts of the economy and, and really help drive different aspects of innovation. But some of the not so good consequences of this evolution is that inevitably it's creating value concentration of value creation and fewer and fewer players are tending to keep a a lot of the value. And one could argue that that value creation concentration could also potentially create some barriers for innovation. And there's always you know, two sides of the argument. And yes, there's some cases that may be true. In some cases, you know, the, the competition is enough that, that, that may not be happening. And it, as we mentioned previously in this discussion, there's also uh, the level of influence that e- these ecosystems have, ecosystem businesses have, and broader geopolitical and social and societal issues is also a cause for discussion and debate. For each of these multi-trillion bubbles,
0: there is an unforgiving mathematics. A few large-scale platforms, a few orchestrators are likely to win a disproportionately large part of the value because they will own the customer. The goal in all this competition is customer ownership. That's the holy grail of ecosystem. Whoever owns customers in one of these big bubbles, they can orchestrate them. They don't have to do everything. They can bring in partners but they can capture a very large part of the value. And the most important weapon in this war is data. So whoever owns the data will own the customer. Now, we are not saying that there are only 12 ecosystems. We see plenty of niche ecosystems. In fact, we are seeing a complex interplay, a juxtaposition of different levels, but it is still a very substantial transformation.
1: But what are some of the potential hurdles in the way of this continued transformation to an ecosystem economy? And conversely, are there any factors that are emerging or that one should look for that would accelerate it?
0: The outcome will be very heavily influenced by a bunch of factors. One of them is already mentioned. The first one is regulatory, right? So it was a great question. Obviously, regulators are influencing the outcome. And by the way, they are influencing it differently in different jurisdictions. That's one of the reasons why we see a very different speed at which certain markets are moving towards this but we believe also the broader transformation on sustainability and environment uh, have will have implications and we could even see very large scale environmental pressure because ecosystems in their uh, evolution can be provide the best potential solution for uh, a true energy transformation and true uh, uh, emission transformation of the planet right because there are so many sectors involved Cross-sectoral solutions are actually uh, probably the way to save the planet. We could see AI uh, breakthroughs further accelerate this. In fact, true, unexpectedly large AI breakthroughs could lead to not even 12 ecosystems, but just one gigantic one, which is probably the eventual end game. While things like metaverse and even human computer interfaces can also radically accelerate this process, not to mention Web Zero, DeFi, cryptocurrencies, uh, or even central bank digital currencies can be another factor which shapes winners versus losers because they can totally reinvent payments and and also the fundamental structure of many professional services, banking, insurance, again, accelerating this. Extreme cyber events may totally reshape uh, who are the winners and the losers. In case of major cyber catastrophes, we could see... A move towards more traditional players, still ecosystems, but you know a stronger uh, push towards tradi- uh, towards reliable incumbents, or generally players who got cybersecurity right. Major transformations: asteroid mining, space-based commerce. Could create entirely new ecosystems around that earth. And also, the, the ongoing biological transformation or even nanotech transformation could shape that. In fact, nanotech could expand ecosystems even to very traditional manufacturing, which we believe is not the first wave of ecosystem transformation. That's more on distribution. But with nanotechs, we could see even more of this shifting.
1: That's a pretty wide variety of factors. In um, episode 151, we spoke to Ian DeBode and Matt Higginson about the business opportunities that are going to be presented in the next generation of the internet. I'm curious about how you see Web3 affecting the ecosystem evolution. Venkat, you want to take that one?
2: So Web3.0, it's a very speculative place. I don't think we know exactly how that's going to evolve. But having said that, uh, there are some very interesting opportunities that would come about uh, with Web3.0. If you truly believe that you are going to put the user at the center of how you service your customers or your clients and your partners and you give a lot more power to the user, you would imagine you can think through the logical evolutions of that. You could imagine that uh, you would need to have different forms of ecosystems uh, that, you, that, that, that you, know, you would need to serve those customers. Um, so so for example the current ecosystems of owning a software platform owning a digital platform and uh, giving api access to a bunch of developers and doing um, creating value that way perhaps that would sustain but if you put user in the middle you may have to rethink that whole model and if you read I think those are the kinds of opportunities that would upgrade auto present and I think you know we we still we, um as a firm believe that uh, we are in the very early innings of figuring that out and how that evolves and where would that go? Again, humbly, I don't think we quite know. And I think this is where being very thoughtful about what approach you take, whether you're a startup, whether you're a large company, whether you're an emerging company, whether you're you know, an institution or a policymaker, and taking a very thoughtful approach on how do you position yourself to make sure that you have your options
1: um, to win
2: in that evolution?
1: Great. So let's switch to discussing how a company that's not currently an ecosystem player can best participate in the ecosystem economy. What should business leaders be considering and what foundations should they be building given how much is at stake?
2: So there are three different ways we think about how you participate in this evolution. First and foremost, we believe that you really have to be very thoughtful about carefully considering where do you want to play? That is, what ecosystem do I want to be part of? Or do I I want to build? Do I want to foster? Do I want to evolve? It's a very important aspect that you need to inject into how you think about your strategic posture, how you think about where you play, and then consider that very carefully. Second part is, once you determine what which part of the ecosystem or which ecosystem do you want to like to play in, you also want to choose your role very carefully. There's a spectrum of roles you could play in the ecosystem economy. One end of the spectrum, you could simply be a participant, meaning somebody else has the platform. I'm just going to be a player in the platform, and I would I would you know use that leverage that platform to create value for our customers, and I'll share that value. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, you could be the orchestrator or the uh, creator or the uh, or the firm or a person that's uh, developing and fostering and evolving the platform that's required for the ecosystem and obviously if you're if you're going after being the orchestrator or the anchor of the p- platform for the ecosystem, it comes with a lot of responsibility. You need to make sure that you are constantly evolving the platform. You need to make sure that you're fostering. You need to make sure that you have enough infrastructure mechanism through which you interact with your uh, partners for that ecosystem. So it comes with a lot of responsibility. And it's also, we don't need many, many, many uh, orchestrators and and platforms. We need, there's only room for uh, so many of those. And then there's a, a, Shades of variation in between those two um, uh, ends of the spectrum that you could participate in. Sometimes you could be a participant or, a, or an uh, uh, orchestrator, and you could be a participant in one ecosystem or can orchestrate a you know broader ecosystem. For example, you take you know ride-sharing apps, right? Ride-sharing apps are part of you know one of the smartphone ecosystems, but in in, in their in their own right, they have their own ecosystem. So there are all kinds of combinations that you could come up with in a broader economy across sectors. Now, after you do that, it also is important, you know, you realize that in some cases, you may not have the capabilities you need, you may not have all the know-how and 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 the evolution capabilities that you need. In that case, picking the right model and right collaborators is quite, quite uh, important as well. You really need to think about, how easy is to develop the capability you know that we ne- that's needed for me to be effective in that ecosystem b- business and how hard is to maintain that capability for example if you have a capability that's easy to develop and easy to maintain and you may say okay i'm going to do that organically i don't need a partner for that and on the other hand if you say i have a you know i have a eco i have a capability that's very hard to maintain very hard to develop um, if somebody else could do it much better in developing and maintaining it or evolving it, or you may actually go and say, okay, I'm gonna partner with somebody else
1: on that. Okay. In the book, you mentioned different business models that companies typically use to drive revenues in the ecosystems. Can you take us through them?
2: So the, the, the business models fall you know, across the spectrum. We have one end of the spectrum. And for those of you that are in the software you know, space, um, they know, we, you, you know quite well, this is an open source model, where you open source everything in the, in the, in the broader, in, in the interest of you know, bringing broader good to the community. And then you foster the ecosystem and you promote, promote a, greater, a greater good, and then you find ways to service uh, that ecosystem uh, and monetize that way. That's, the, that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, you actually create value uh, collectively, like I said before, with, by, by expanding the pie and you share that value. But they share that value not only in dollars and cent, cents, you share also that value in the equity that you develop. And obviously, one in the middle of this, these two ends of the spectrum, um, you see that you're free for uh, use of the platform or sharing um, the upside you create by using the platform. I mean, with the 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 app model that you see in the software, the, the smartphone face is a good, a smartphone uh, space is a good example of that. So there's a, there's a really, uh, a pretty broad spectrum of business models you could follow. And then there's a lot of innovation that's going on. We believe, and we get quite excited about the fact that these business models would evolve and this is this would become one of the backbones on how the the economic evolution is going to uh, create value and, and, and that value gets shared by different
1: players. So what is your advice to a business leader interested in creating an effective ecosystem business? What, what kind of culture and operating model do the most successful players have? So you really need to take
2: a very long-term view. You need to have three or four very core tenets of how you think about your organization. One is you have to be very open. Second, you have to foster and create entrepreneurship in your organization, uh, big, small, or medium. And you also have to create decisiveness and in long-term thinking. And, you know, this is... Uh, pretty overused, you know, uh, phase, but also foster and, and really promote fast failing. Those are the kind of things you would need to really position yourself. But those are underpinned by, in our view, even more important leadership model that you need to foster. That is servant leadership model. It is not command and control leadership model. It is a servant leadership model. The hierarchical approach to org models, in our view, is going to be a big hindrance for you to be successful in the new ecosystem economy. For those of you in the the, uh, software development space that you're very familiar with the agile model, we believe taking that agile model and uh, extending that agile model, not just for IT development, not for developing pieces of software, but actually on how you operate yourself as a company. As a firm, whether it's a startup or a large company, developing products and de- developing solutions offers your customers. It's all about iterative incremental development. Very, very important. Not just for IT development, for everything you do as a corporation, as a, a small company or a startup. And third, you you hear, you hear a lot about diversity, diversity of all aspects. There's one key thing we go into in we go in detail into the book is the that you, you go after diversity with purpose. Go after diversity with purpose, meaning diversity of all kinds. Diversity You have to go after diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of background, diversity of upbringing. Diversity is hugely important, but do it in a way that it's, you're, you're, you're taking the, the breadth of how you could really leverage what diversity could do for you. And lastly, most importantly, we see in our line of work a lot of performance management aspects of how different companies you know, govern themselves from a performance standpoint. Uh, and the regimented model of oh, every month or every quarter, I'm going to go review how, how the teams are doing, that is not the recipe for success in this, in this new economy. It is really more fluid, more conversational, make it very informal, make it more of a dialogue, make it in a way that you're not waiting for months and quarters to figure out if you're doing well or not, but it's a lot more iterative in a way that you're, you're interacting and you're getting feedback and you're helping, again, going back to the servant model point we made, and you actually create a different culture.
1: Thank you. So can you share any examples of companies that have successfully transitioned from a traditional industry player into an ecosystem player and, and how they actually drove that transformation?
0: There are plenty of examples of very traditional incumbent players of different sectors working out and proving recipes of evolving into ecosystem businesses it is definitely not hopeless many of these examples are global and that's an important thing to recognize ecosystems is a very global phenomena and because of the ability to leapfrog Lots of the interesting examples come from uh, emerging markets. There is also another good news, which is capital markets tend to reward, not just perfection, extremely successfully dominating ecosystems, but even practical first steps. Because uh, the nice thing about building ecosystems, they are not necessarily extremely capital intensive and even some early successes can lead to measurable improvement in customer ownership double improvement in margin improvement in growth and that in turn gets rewarded and funded by capital markets so it is possible and possible to go into a positive spiral a self-fueling spiral of escaping the gravity of your industry and reinvent your business model banking in many ways the lowest way you would uh, sector facing the biggest fundamental challenges that what we call the four horsemen of apocalypse from ecosystems disintermediation this, this aggregation commoditization and invisibility but on the positive side there are now dozens of banks all across the world who have been proven a playbook of how to go and win in certain non-banking businesses also strengthening their core banking one very traditionally banks are great well positioned for example to orchestrate the home ecosystem because they are already providing mortgages why not provide the whole end-to-end journeys of buying and then owning a home banks are extremely well positioned to orchestrate all small businesses combining an already existing banking relationship with uh, administrative, tax, HR, even software provision other type of services via building up gateways. Banks are well positioned uh, to use their rewards from the payment business to enter and become commerce orchestrator, even e-commerce players in some markets. There are banks over the world who have really started to move and interestingly in every region except Middle East, every region the highest valued banks are the play uh, compared to their region are better price to book or price to earnings are the ones who got some pieces of all uh, of this right The same way in the retail industry, we see retailers, both traditional retailers and e-retailers becoming very, very efficient, leveraging their loyalty program, turning into real uh, digital relationship with customers, entering into finance, providing broad set of services, entering and reinventing the health ecosystem, partnering with others. So overall, plenty of examples of incumbent players working this out.
1: Well that's very encouraging to hear. Last question for you both. Do you have any other advice for those looking to enter and win in the ecosystem economy?
0: Rule number 1. When you are thinking about your customers, whether you totally want to reorganize your company or just want to be a bit more ecosystem conscious or ecosystem curious, right? Make be be not just very focused on your customers and your partners, but try to always aim for a quantum leap of experience improvement. It's a big, big learning. Just providing customers a bunch of interconnected services doesn't mean that they change behavior. You need to give them something so meaningful, incrementally so powerful and exciting that they really are willing to consider. Once then they change it, of course they stick. It's also very powerful if you can build loops, bring your friends, network effect uh, to scale this up. Learning number two, Venkat already mentioned that Choose your role very, very consciously. The truth is, in most of these multi-trillion-dollar large emerging new ecosystems, which are collapsing across customer ne- and customer needs, there will be room for a few major platforms, maybe global ones, a few niche ones. A lot of companies have little chance or no chance to be the orchestrator of multiple of these ecosystems or even one. And recognizing that early and maybe narrowing down or find a very important support role is important. The third one is very obvious one, and it's a word which everybody uses for a lot of different meaning platforms. The most successful business model for ecosystems is a platform business. Make sure you are setting this up and very importantly, not digitally. The true value creation ecosystem is online to offline. Capture both of these universes and convict. The fourth one Benkut also mentioned, but very, very important true ecosystem partnership is very different than a vendor supplier market trip. every company has an ecosystem of suppliers sales partners distributors it's okay let's keep them but don't confuse them to true value sharing type of partnership with ecosystem requires in case of this is basically you grow the pie together what is also very important as number five is and this is what truly leading ecosystem companies get right uh, true understand where are the true leverage points the chakra points of customer value chain the art of an ecosystem orchestrator or an ecosystem winner is not to do everything for the customer right most elements of the customer journey has very little value at you need to find a few critical points which truly make a difference where real holy grail data is being generated where you can control a uh, customer journey and you can partner with all the rest being thoughtful and targeted and really understand these where these choke points are is a very uh, important trick of getting two value out of this and the final point is on organizational governance rest getting the concept right where and how you want to develop ecosystems in fact when we did analysis of failures of ecosystem builds over 80% of the cases we have found that it was at least partially connected to governance issues. Because what uh, Venkat has described is a challenge. For most companies in the world right now, they will have to maintain and run their traditional strategy, build their business as they are, but at the same time start to build cross-industrial ecosystem strategies as well. It's very hard to build this within your existing organization. You need to get it right. It's almost like what we call the Goldilocks zone doing it too close to the traditional business is very hard off the side of the deck, uh, expecting your people to run the business, but also reinvent it. Building it too far and it becomes totally unconnected, just a bunch of random VC ideas. So you have to find this ideal zone in between uh, and manage the right scale. It's it's not easy, but it's extremely rewarding because if you get these six points right, the likelihood is that you can go to a positive spiral, get value, valuation, multiples in the self reinforcing cycle of value creation just by getting the ecosystem business model right.
1: That sounds very encouraging indeed. Um, thank you so much for taking the time with us today and for sharing your great insights. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. You can find out more about Miklos's and Venkat's new book on McKinsey.com, or you can check out the link we're sharing in the show notes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at inside the strategy room at McKinsey.com or share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player. Thank you to all of our listeners who've already reached out and rated and reviewed our podcast. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please keep them coming. If you'd like to listen to additional episodes, we encourage you to follow our series on your favorite podcast player and where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also encourage you to visit our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR. And that includes written transcripts of more than 120 past episodes. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up on our Practice Insights page at mckinsey.com slash SCF. Follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.